have been in a series uh, called Worthy of the Gospel, and we've been looking at the letter of Philippians. And for the last two weeks, we opened up Philippians in uh, the first chapter. And, and one of the things that I have really enjoyed, I've, I've really connected with Paul in the, in the sense of this, this beginning of the letter. Um, as we look at the first chapters, um, Paul writes to the first church that was planted in Philippi, that he planted, and we were, we, we saw that um, this group of people that came together to plant the church were from all different walks of life, that they had no business actually having unity. Lydia, the wealthy um, cloth dyer, she, she dyed and uh, cloth purple. And so we know that she was wealthy and owned a big business. Um, the jailers that came to know Jesus from Paul sitting in jail. And then there was a story of a young girl who was enslaved and exploited because of her sorcery ability. And somehow all these different people from different places came together and planted the church of Philippi. And so Paul writes to them years later, and he says, and he reminds them of, of how good this church has been, right? So in verse 6, he says, God who began a good work in you will bring to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. He reminds them that God's not done that you've been dealt a lot of good things. You have been a great community, but he's going to do more. In verse 9, he says, Paul prayed that their love may abound more and more with knowledge and all discernment. That not just that you would grow in your understanding of Jesus, of God, of the scriptures, but that you would have discernment, that you would know what to do at the, and the right thing to do at the right time, how to actually live that knowledge out. And he urges them, and he says, let your manner of life be worthy of the gospel of Christ, standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side by, uh, for the faith of the gospel. Man, I love this first part of the letter that Paul writes. His longing and his affection for the church and the partnership he has in ministry and how they have met his needs and how he's meeting their needs. He's thankful for the work that they've done together. But he says, look, family, we're not done yet. There's more. We can go deeper. We can become more like Jesus and glorify God by living out the gospel. He urges them to stand together, united in their kingdom citizenship. And this is where I feel this connection with Paul. In January, we spent the whole month reflecting on the birth of Missio, 12 years planting and growing this church, being together. And in the same way that Paul's urging the church to stand together, 
and to go deeper. I want to urge you, Missio, and those of you that are visiting too, who call yourselves Christians, who walk by faith, there's more. There's so much more. And so Paul, he calls them up to something more, something deeper. And that's where we're going to start in Philippians 2. And remember, this is a letter. Like, we've put chapters and we've put verses so that we can reference points of this letter. But man, he's writing this, and this is the part where he goes into, this is how we're going to do it. Okay? So if you have your Bibles, um, you can open those up or jump, look up here on the screen. Chapter 2. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also the interest of others. Have the mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. But he emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every other name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasures. Paul says, if you've gotten anything at all out of following Christ, any comfort in love, any participation in the spirit, any affection and sympathy, Have you benefited from following Jesus in any little way? Have you benefited from being in and around Jesus' people? Even just one thing. If any. I mean, this is, this is basically any minute thing, then I'm going to call you up into something more, something greater something deeper. And this is what he says. Then complete my joy by being of the same mind. This is verse 2. Being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his interest, but also to the interest of others. Have his mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. When we read scripture and we see key words and phrases repeated over and over, you need to slow down and stop and take notice. In this section, he says mind a few times, right? In verse 2, he says the same mind and one mind. In verse 5, he says, have this in mind. The way Paul uses this word mind here is, is the Greek word phroneo. It's equivalent to this. It's from the within, an inner perspective that shows itself in corresponding outward behavior. It's not just knowledge or an intellect or understanding here. Our brain's so much more complex than that. This idea is, is so difficult to explain because there's no English word for it. It combines this idea of um, visceral and cognitive aspects of thinking. Visceral meaning that it's, a, it's related to a deep inward feeling rather than kind of an intellectual thought. It's, it's this gut reaction. When you see it, you just got to do something about it. When you, it's just a gut reaction, you're just gonna respond to it. So it's visceral. But it also combines this cognitive thinking, using your brain, using your, your wherewithal to, to think through things. So it's both heart and mind. It works together. It's about a pattern of thought, a way of living, an action, almost like second nature. So that's what Paul's talking about. When, he, he, when we read through verse 2 and 4 again, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord, and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Pretty straightforward, pretty easy, right? We can all do that, right? It's a totally reasonable request. Everybody get on the same page. From here on out, we're going to be like-minded. We're going to have the same type of love for each other, be in agreement about everything. We won't be selfish anymore or conceited. We'll be humble and think of each other's best interest before ourselves. Easy peasy, right? I love uh, the theologian N.T. Wright. He, he says, if you read it this way, uh, the verses, the way that, that we're just kind of reading it, it's, it's almost laughable. It's laughably impossible, actually, to live this way, right? This is what he says. Not only are there big theological differences, smoldering resentments from historical events long ago, and radical variations in styles of worship, there are also personality cults, 
clashes over leadership style, arguments on issues of moral behavior, cultural politics, and so on. How can we even begin to think that it might be possible to live the way that Paul indicates here? Thinking the same, thinking the same loving each other completely, regarding everyone else's, uh, regarding everyone else and their opinions as superior than ours? It's laughable that we could think that we could do this. So what is it? This is what he says, and he continues. The answer must be that everyone must be focused on something other than themselves. And that something else is the Sunday school answer, Jesus, right? It's Jesus Christ himself, the King, the Lord, and the good news in which has come to take the world over in his name. Let me read that again. There's, the answer must be that everyone must be focused on something other than themselves, that something is Jesus Christ himself, the King, the Lord, and the good news which has come to take the world over in his name. The same-mindedness and the one-mindedness isn't about being in agreement with everything or everyone believing and doing the same thing. It's not about the systems and the structures that dictate how we will think or how we will do things. Same-mindedness, one-mindedness, it's focused on Christ who unites us. It's focused on Christ who unites us. Our phreneo, our mindset, focused on the interest of others, not our own interest. And more, uh, it's more concerned about moving in the direction of Christ and living in a manner worthy of the gospel. You see, it's, it's about moving together in the same direction. Even if we have differing opinions on how it should be done, we know that we need to go forward in the direction of Jesus. It is Christ that unites us. It's Christ that united the church in Philippi with Lydia, with the jailers, with the slave girl, because they were focused on Christ. They were focused on going forward in him. Paul says in verse 5, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. In other words, he says, we need to adopt a new way of thinking, a new way of thinking about ourselves. And that new way is Jesus, the way that Jesus thought about himself. And this is the way that Jesus thought about himself in verse 6 through 8 who though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself out by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, and death on the cross. Jesus was the ultimate example of Chapter 2, verse 3 and 4, right? He gave up everything, his deity, his godness, 
his position of power, his position of privilege, any selfish ambition or conceit, he gave it all up. Not only did he become human, he became a servant. And then in his humility, he counted others more significant than himself. If you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you see this servant. He came to seek and save the lost. He came to be a servant of all. And then he died on the cross. He wasn't looking after his own interest, but of the interest of others for you and for me. He gave it all up. He lived out what Paul was talking about in verse 3 and 4. This is our ultimate example. And you might be sitting there saying, yeah, Joel, that, great, but that's Jesus. He's God. But didn't we just read, didn't we just hear that he gave up his godness, his deity? He emptied himself out. So Jesus was flesh and blood like you and I. The only way he could do the things that he did on this earth was to submit to God the Father and to be empowered by the Holy Spirit. Jesus would say, I can only do what the Father is doing. He was submitted to God. And he was empowered by the Holy Spirit. Remember when he went down in baptism and he came up and the heavens opened and God said, this is my son who I am well pleased. And then the Holy Spirit in the form of a dove came down and was on him. Friends, we have the same access the same power because Jesus has done this for us. He died on the cross and rose again. We have access to God the Father and we can submit to him. We can choose to submit to him. And we have access to the Holy Spirit who God says dwells in us. Paul says it this way. In verse 12, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but much more in my absence, work out your salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. This idea of working out your salvation can be comparable to, like, let's say, how, how many of you have muscles, right? All of you have muscles, right? Some of you, we can see more of your muscles than others. Some of you, yeah, we'll stop there. But it's this idea of 
if you want to get fit, if you want those muscles to be at optimum levels, you have to work them out. You have to be intentional about what you're eating, how you're resting, how you're recovering, so that you can have a body like mine, <laughs> right? There, there is intentionality. There is work that has to be done to work out your muscles, to be at optimum levels, to be fit. In the same way, those of you who have put your faith in Jesus and are walking with Jesus and have fellowship with Jesus, you have salvation in him. So work it out. If you want that salvation and that freedom to come, you have to work out. You have to submit your will to it. It doesn't just come. Work out your salvation. Live like you have it. Submit your will to Christ for God's good pleasure. I mean, so we can talk a lot about these ideas and these concepts, these theological truths. But there comes a moment where we need to start to apply it so that we have phreneo, right? So that it's not just this cognitive idea, but that becomes visceral and cognitive. We actually have, um, it, it actually says in the Bible that we can renew our minds daily right? That our minds can be changed and renewed. And there's scientific evidence of that as well, right? There's neural pathways that are generated and can be regenerated. So we can re rewire our neural pathways of selfishness, conceit, ambition, basically what the world offers, we can rewire that and create new neural pathways of thinking, developing a freneo like Jesus. And here's, here's some ways I want us to think about it, some appl application here. How are you training your mind to be more aligned with Jesus? I would encourage you to take time in self-examination. Where do you need to die to yourself? Where do you need to die to your ambitions, to your conceit? How do you align with God? How do you align with Jesus? What do you need to lay down? There's an EHS course coming uh, starting, I believe, this Wednesday, emotionally healthy spirituality. This is a space that can help guide you through this self-examination process and learning how to do that on a regular daily basis. 
to look at the ways that you're thinking and the way that you have been raised motivates you and how to realign with Christ in that. So I'd encourage you to do that. Second thing is, how are you exercising your thinking and acting to align together? Moving them and, and getting your cognitive and your visceral to start acting together. In what ways are you stepping over people to get to what you want? How will you stop? There's ways that we intentionally or unintentionally step over people or on people to get what we want. And we need to stop. How are we practicing putting others before ourselves? Here's a few ways. Slow down. Stop. Care for someone in need. Even if it's inconvenient. A lot of times we will ask, how are you doing? As we're, we're moving. And it's, it's, a, it's, it's a greeting. This morning, someone asked me, how are you doing? And I was like, I'm fine. And they stopped me and said, how are you really doing? They saw me and wanted to know. That can be inconvenient. Be present. Put down your distractions. Carve out some time. Be intentional in what you talk about. We don't need to continue to talk about the weather because the weather is just bad, okay? <laughs> we can continue to talk about COVID, but COVID's just, it's just gonna keep moving and swaying back and forth. Be intentional. Ask, how is your soul? How is your soul? How are you doing? What is going on with you and your life? How are you feeling? Go deeper, go deeper, go deeper. Know your neighbor. Learn people's names, learn their stories. I'm not just talking about your neighbor actually physically next door to where you live, but yes, know them. But even in this room, the family of Missio, that we call the family of Missio, we don't all know each other's names Hence, we put on name tags. Mine came off. Um, know each other's names. Know each other's stories. If we are going to be family, we have to. We have to slow down and be intentional. And what that does, family, what that does is when you know your neighbor, not just here in this church, but next door, at your schools, at your work, in your community, when you know their stories, they become human. You can't just step over them anymore. You can't neglect people anymore. They become part of your community. They become more important. Know your neighbor. 
All right. What intentional practices can you develop until it becomes visceral and cognitive? Generous giving. Meet the needs of others around you. Meet the needs of people around you. Be generous with your giving financially, with gifts, physically. If you have extra, think about how you can do that generously. If you don't have extra, think about how you can create extra to give. Generous serving, it's the same context. Ask, how can I help? How can I help you in your need? How can I help you, Missio? How can I help at church? How can I help at work? How can I help at school? Wherever you are, the question of how can I help? Serve, just serve. Generous presence. How can, it, how can I be with you? What will make you see, be, feel seen in this moment? This is hard. I can make a meal and give it. I can cut a check and give it. It's the being present, carving out time, and saying, I'm going to sit with you in this uncomfortableness. I'm going to sit here in your mourning. I'm going to sit here in your celebration. I'm going to sit here even though you don't know what you need or what you want. I'm going to be present. The last thing. We're moving into a season of Lent. It starts this Wednesday, Ash Wednesday. 40 days. The things that we just talked about. Training your mind to align with Jesus. Exercising your thinking and actions to align together. Practicing um, and developing your visceral and cognitive reactions. All those things that we just talked about. You have 40 days where you can actually engage this. We usually ask this when we go into Lent. What can I stop doing? and fast from? What can I stop doing? But also, what can I start doing? What can I replace that with? Ultimately, Jesus came in human form in order to reconcile us to God, to bring us back into right relationship with God, the Creator, and us, his created beings. This was Jesus' ultimate goal, to live in a way that was sacrificial, to put aside everything that he was and could be, to become fully human, to experience what we experienced, to be the ultimate gift to us. And this is what Paul says in verse 9 through 11 of chapter 2. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every 
name so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. This morning as we remember Jesus, as we look at the way that he thought of himself and the way that he lived this out, we remember through communion. His body broken for us, his blood shed for us. The ultimate. This is verse three and four. This is who we look to. This is how we think. This is the one mind. What a beautiful picture of self-sacrifice. Dying to the things of the world and putting others before ourselves. Would we have Christ Jesus in mind as we go into this Lent season?